Welcome to VO Meter, measuring your voiceover progress. The VO Meter is brought to you by VoiceActorWebsites.com, Vocal Booth to Go, PodcastDemos.com, Global Voice Acting Academy, JMC Demos, and IPDTL. And now, your hosts, Paul Stefano and Sean Daly. Hi, everybody, and welcome to episode 44 of the VO Meter. Measuring your voiceover progress. This time, we are very excited to have Debbie Harada, a actual local talent for me. She's a Seattle-based voice talent who's got over three decades of experience in all genres of voiceover. I met her at a recent documentary narration workshop in Seattle led by Pat Fraley, and we kind of took turns receiving instruction from the two of them, and she was just amazing. So I'm really excited to be able to share our interview with you guys in just a few minutes. Yeah, it was the one time you thought you were going to have the only connection to the guest, and uh, I still managed to weasel one in there on you. I apologize. (laughs) Kevin Bacon rears his ugly head once again. So we'll have that fabulous interview with Debbie in a few minutes. But first, a word from one of our sponsors, this time from IPDTL, who's actually powering the show right now. We're recording with IPDTL. If you don't know what IPDTL is, it's the cost-effective ISDN replacement. It's great for interviews, outside broadcasts, and, of course, voiceover. There's no special hardware or software required. It works anywhere with an Internet connection. There's monthly or annual subscription plans, and it runs in the Chrome web browser. And the best part is, it just works. So thanks again to IPDTL for sponsoring the show. Once again, we're pleased to bring you the interview with Debbie Hirata. Right after we get to our... VoiceOver Extra brings you the VO Meter Reference Levels. Uh, seriously, guys, that's the best you could come up with? Hey, it's your show. All right, so, Sean, what's happening in your VO nape of the neck, neck of the woods? <laughs> Nape of the woods, but Paul, it's only our first date. But anyway, <laughs> if only that were true. <laughs> I know, right? Going on, going on strong for what four years now. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, a lot of stuff is going on in my VO world this month, and October is usually a pretty busy time of year for me because of the Halloween season, and my girlfriend and her family are really fanatic about it (laughs) so they always have like a big halloween party at the end of the month and they decorate their house more than anyone i've seen it's their christmas totally but anyways so lots of vo stuff has been going on um i just finished my my monthly e-learning projects i've been doing a lot of cool new auditions so thank you to all of my agents and and of course armin hirstetter over at Podalgo. got a lot of fun auditions and projects from them and got some exciting audiobook uh, auditions that I'm hoping that I get. And other than that, I just recorded a, an e-learning demo with one of our sponsors, actually, the the awesome JMC, J. Michael Collins of J. Michael, or JMC. Wow, I saw demos. that. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. We were How did that go? Out and it went really well. He was a pleasure to work with. Uh, I coached with him before once, like three years ago, when I first learned about him. Let's just say I am much improved as far as skill ability goes. But he was he was really impressed and we were we worked on like five or six scripts and we were in and out in like twenty minutes. So um Did that scare in. you? I've I I had the similar experience where we were done quickly and he attributed that to my uh, professionalism, which I highly doubted. So I'm wondering if that experience is common. Did you feel like you were or were you worried afterwards thinking, wow, that was too fast? Well, not in my case. Yours, he was probably blowing smoke. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> no, but but I mean, uh, I mean, to be fair, e-learning is kind of my bailiwick and my bread and butter. So I was expecting something like that to go well. But I mean, he was great, and like we we got three strong reads of every script. So I'm really happy about it, and I'm really excited to see what he comes up with. Should take about a month to to finish producing. He said. Yeah, I was. Uh, also pleased, really pleased with what we came up with. Actually, submitted it for Sovas, didn't get selected, uh, but oh, I was really happy with the way it came out, even despite the the worries I was talking about. It's, I think it's just a testament to the prep work that he and his team do, because he really makes sure you're ready before you do the the, the demo, and that's the way it probably should be. It should be quick once you're prepared. Absolutely, yeah, and and it should be a fun, relaxing experience, right? And I mean, like throughout, and even posted about it on Facebook. He's like, "Man, you just you making it look easy," and I was like, "Oh shucks!" And that kind of 
positive reinforcement does help you try and keep continuing to give your best stuff. So thank you again, J. Michael. It was a pleasure working with you, and I'm really excited to see what uh, you and your team come up with. Walgreens, because it's flu season, and you live in a place with doorknobs and handrails and, you know, people. We tried booking a vacation rental on one of those other websites. They don't always tell you everything. The stars take it to the red carpet. We are back live from the red carpet. California leads the way for change in America, and so does Kamala Harris. Rated M for Mature. Claire Redfield. And who exactly are you? So, yeah, what hashtag should I use to describe a grown man in a tuxedo wrestling a goat? And prior to 1933, many of them belonged to a variety of political parties that were now outlawed in Germany. This is the story of how Q got curly. Quinn was crazy about curls. Curly fries, curly straws, curly-haired dogs. Hey, J. Michael here. Thanks for listening to the VO Meter podcast. It's one of my favorites. If you're looking for a great demo like the ones you just heard, check out jmcdemos.com for more information. Cool. Anything else going on? I'm also working towards a new commercial demo with... um with another friend of the podcast, Terry Daniel. We worked together. He was actually one of my first coaches. And then a long time ago, I purchased a demo credit from him before I left Japan. And then life got in the way. And then I was just busy and my schedule wasn't allowing it for a very long time. And and I went through an emotional crisis where I was like, I don't know if I need a new demo yet. Uh." But anyways, so we... uh, so we're working together and hopefully get that recorded by uh, sometime in the next couple of weeks. And then I'm actually working towards some uh, some character demos, a video game and animation demo through GVAA. So, because uh, that's kind of what we're known for. And I've done David Rosenthal's uh, creating characters for your demo class, which is a really unique way to kind of take ownership of the characters you create because you're... Like, it's all coming from your head. Like, you're either writing or adapting scripts that you found, and you're really creating this sort of in-depth connection with these characters because, like it says on the tin, you're creating them. They're your characters, right? These aren't impressions or references or whatever. These are things that you can pull out for your own work, and, and it's on your demo. So it's on your calling card as needed. That's very cool. Other than that, I've just been kind of trying to buckle down and try and improve my craft, whether it be practicing, working with coaches, kind of making my studio setup more efficient and improving my workflow. I've experimenting with different monitor setups, trying to get like true punch and roll inside the booth. And I've been really happy with uh, this little device called the Luna Display. It's like a little dongle that you can plug into either like a USB-C or a Thunderbolt port on your Mac. Sorry, it's only Mac only, but it works really well. And uh, and then it allows you to connect to your iPad over either the lightning connector or the, or the Wi-Fi connection. And they keep making updates and improvements on that. And it's just been getting, because they had some early connection issues and stuff like that. But the performance has been getting better every time. And now it's so smooth and easy. It's so great being able to look at my script and have Twisted Wave open on my iPad, on an older iPad even, and then just have that kind of control. I know it's going to save me hours of editing out, like getting in and out of the booth and all sorts of sounds and takes that I don't want in my audio. So as you can see, I'm just kind of trying to reinforce the different foundations of my VO business. Yeah, I know you mentioned you're doing more audiobook auditions. When you do those, punch and roll is really a lifesaver. I oh, resisted God, for yes. a long time because <laughs> I'm just stubborn as, a, as an ox, but... Once I did a whole book with Punch and Roll and realized that once you finish, you're more or less done uh, going back, aside from going back and taking out extraneous spacing and breaths, it's such a lifesaver. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you still have to, like, uh, depending on how facile you are with it, you might still have to adjust, like, pausing and stuff like that. But compared to the amount of work you would be doing otherwise with multiple takes and mi- editing out mistakes... And things like that. It's just, oh man, I highly recommend it. And I know it can be difficult for people starting out to to a understand what PNR or punch and roll is and why you might benefit from it. And it does have a bit of a steep learning curve. But if you have, if you have, if you're working with, like, say, an instructor, like some of our friends of the podcast, like George Whittem or um, or Don Barnes people like those who know how to do that and can kind of hold your hand through the process, 
it's really worth the investment and time. And like, you're just going to save yourself so much time with in the recording and editing process. Absolutely. Cool. Well, that's pretty much end of my reference rant. What about you, Paul? I have a few things going on, but um, before I get to that, let's talk about another one of our sponsors. So Vocabooth to Go has been uh, actually their first sponsor of the show, and they've been with us for several years now. Vocabooth to Go's patented acoustic blankets are an effective alternative to expensive soundproofing. It's often used by vocal and voiceover professionals, engineers, and studios as an affordable soundproofing and absorption solution. We make your environment quieter for less. Thanks again to Jeff, Stephen, their marketing director at Vocal Booth To Go. Big fans of their products. So things going on in my world. Uh, first, I've been working on a lot of audiobooks. Um, we were talking offline about overbooking, and I did it again. I'm working now <laughs> feverishly on a book that was due in July, and I'm a little ashamed oh, to say, but it's a royalty share book that I talked to the rights holder about, and we we had the deal done back in, I guess it was May, and I didn't have time. I have too many paid-per-finished-hour books to work on, and I told them this, that, that I'd get to it when I could, but now it's getting a little ridiculous, and at one point, I actually did reach out to them back in September and said, I'm still not done. Um do you still want me to do this? If not, I completely understand. Please find somebody else. And they said, no, we, we like, we're, we're really happy with your performance so far. Just keep going. So that's what I'm doing. And I'm hoping to finish it in the next week and finally be done with it. So I apologize to the rights holder of death in Shangri-La. It'll be done presently. Well, that's great. I mean, we can, I know we talked about it off the podcast, but I see no reason not to mention, like sometimes despite our best intentions and things like that, and especially as you're learning how long some of these projects can take, sometimes despite our best efforts, we fall behind. And fortunately, it's not the end of the world. And as long as you go about it responsibly, if you communicate with the client, let them know that you're having sort of roadblocks and obstacles and stuff like that, or make other arrangements, right? Maybe you just kind of, you, you re-extend the deadline or like you could offer them a, like a lateness discount if it's that bad as a last resort, things like that to kind of preserve the relationship because, right, the goal is to have a continuing relationship rather than just a series of one-off projects, right? So these are all things that you can do to kind of preserve that when things don't work out in your best interest or in your favor. Yeah, it totally makes sense. Because very rarely are projects a one-off. In fact, this book even has a sequel that's coming out in, well, the end of October. So it should be out soon in written form. And then they'll probably want to do another audiobook. And most likely not with me, but you never know. <laughs> because, like you said, <laughs> I have been upfront and, and above board with everything that's going on. So we'll see. So that's one thing I'm working on. Then also... As part of the um, Stefano Empire of voice actors, <laughs> my my daughter uh, recently did a job, got a SAG credit, and is now SAG-AFTRA eligible for um, for joining the union if she wants for a job she did for a for a commercial in Chicago, and she um, she got Taft Hartley, so she's not a must join with the union yet. But really exciting for her to to get this this job through an agent. Thank you, Desanti Talent. That's amazing. Well, congratulations to your daughter. Thank you very much. And then finally, uh, exciting, more exciting news for me. Just this week, I had a first drive-by in a while to my website. And for those who don't know what that means, it's when someone sees your website, either doing a search on Google or because they somehow saw your actual URL somewhere, maybe a Facebook group or an Instagram post or a LinkedIn post. And they called me last night on the phone, which was shocking because I very rarely answer the phone when I don't recognize a number. Mm -hmm. I saw it was a Florida area code. And also even more sort of, even more synchronistic or serendipitous, I had been getting calls all day about my social security number being suspended, which we all know is a phishing scam, just complete yeah. garbage. But I had four <laughs> calls yesterday with either a computer-generated voice or uh, a voicemail saying, uh, your social security number has been suspended. Please call this number for our fraud division. So I was even more hesitant to answer the phone. But for some reason, I picked it up last night, and it was this production company in, in Miami, Florida, who said, we want to hire you for a series of auto commercials. And I said, awesome, let's do it. So I did that last night, the first spot. And um, so I do believe that was the first drive-by hit from my website for a TV commercial. And it's all due to the efforts with Joe Davis and Karen Barth over at voiceactorwebsites.com, another fine sponsor of the show, and all they've done to help my website and SEO get pushed up to the top of some of those search terms for voiceover. So I really appreciate 
the work they've done again over at voiceactorwebsites.com. Yeah, Joe and Karen and the rest of the, the Voice Actor Websites team are so wonderful. I got to talk with them a lot at, uh, at VO North in September, actually. And, uh, and Joe was saying how proud of you he was, Paul, because he got to see you uh, do your presentation at Vocation. Oh, really? And, uh, yeah. I mean, I know he was like, there, but I'm surprised he was that impressed. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. He was just like he was just like, oh, how far you've come, and he was very proud of you. I'll definitely be reaching out to Joe and Karen uh, in the coming months because, like I said, I've got a lot of new demos. Uh, some of you guys who follow the podcast long enough know that the original people who made my website, Artist Upgrade, went out of business a while ago, and I've. I'm still trying to kind of like maintain full control over my website. So I think it's about time to kind of blow the old building up and then start anew. So uh, so Joe and Karen, don't be surprised if I reach out to you soon. Awesome. So that's really all that's going on in my VO world. We do want to get to our fabulous interview with Debbie Harada in just a minute after these words from podcastdemos.com. Let me tell you about Tim and his team over at Podcast Demos. Tim's team has produced over 1,000 podcast intros for some of the biggest podcasts on the planet. Each demo includes custom-written scripts and hand-selected music and is guaranteed to showcase your voice and talent in the best light possible. With a finger on the pulse of what podcast producers want, you can be sure your podcast demo will sound professional, current, and competitive. Now, we talked about this a lot, but Tim actually produced Paul's and my podcast demos, and all we can say is that he and his team were absolutely amazing. His script writer created original scripts perfect for my voice and personality, as well as reflective of current popular podcast genres. I recorded in the comfort of my own home studio, and Tim worked his mastering magic. The whole process only took a couple of days, and I couldn't be more pleased with the result. Tim is a consummate pro, and so easy to work with. So thank you, Tim, and Podcast Demos. So enough of us uh, babbling. Well, we're going to get to the meat of the program, our interview with the one and only Debbie Hirata. Enjoy. How many times has this happened to you? You're listening to the radio when this commercial comes on, not unlike this one, and this guy starts talking, not unlike myself. Or maybe it's a woman that starts talking, not unlike myself, and you think to yourself, geez, I could do that. Well, mister, well, missy, you just got one step closer to realizing your dream as a voiceover artist. Because now there's Global Voice Acting Academy. All the tools and straight-from-the-hip, honest information you need to get on a fast track to doing this commercial yourself. Well, not this one exactly. Classes, private coaching, webinars, home studio setup, marketing and branding help, members-only benefits like workouts, rate and negotiation advice, practice scripts, and more. All without the kind of hype you're listening to right now. Go ahead, take our jobs from us. We dare you. Speak for yourself, buddy. I like what I do. And you will too when you're learning your craft at Global Voice Acting Academy. Find us at globalvoiceacademy.com. Because you like to have fun. Hey everybody, thanks for joining us in our interview portion of the VO Meter podcast. Our guest today is an award-winning voice actor of national distinction. Her fresh contemporary range gives voice to Fortune 500 ads with as much verve as it delivers for arts and entertainment content. Her acute awareness of storytelling enhances the creative process as she follows the lead of the director to create dynamic voiceover performances that bring words and images to life. Ladies and gentlemen, it is our pleasure to welcome the incredible Debbie Harada. How are you doing, Debbie? <laughs> Thank you, Sean. I'm doing great. What a, what a fantastic introduction. Thank you. You're very welcome. Our pleasure. We are so excited to have you. I can't. Sean's been talking about this for a long time, actually, and I know he's like a kid in a candy store right now. So <laughs> we appreciate you taking the time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm 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 really honored that you asked me to be here, and I'm looking forward to all your questions. Well, absolutely. And for in case some of our viewers don't know, I actually met Debbie doing a documentary narration workshop uh, led by friend of the podcast, Pat Fraley. So I was just so charmed by your, by your, just your gentle directing style. I just knew we had to have you a guest at some point. Wow. That really means a lot to me. That, that was one of the best sessions, training sessions. And that particular group that day, it was really a, quite a remarkable thing. Even and with Sean I, there? <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. I helped with the bell curve, you know. Yeah. No, I mean, it really was. And I came in not knowing, you know, because Pat, I was honored that Pat 
invited me. And I've, I've done things like that with him before, Pat Fraley, who's an absolutely awesome friend and even more spectacular talent. We're so gifted with him in our community. But um, I wasn't really sure how to approach it because I didn't know how much he was going to have gone over with you guys or where I would be the most valuable. And I say this because I, that's how I approach voiceover too, a lot of times. I don't exactly know what angle I'm going to take it at, and I trust my intuition. And uh, But, you know, you have to have a lot of experience to do that. And it really it worked out. And so my that time I didn't have my whip out, <laughs> right? <laughs> you caught me on a good day. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, so, we are our own worst critics, right? So Yeah. <laughs> Well, you talked about your experience, and if we could go back in time a little bit, can you tell us a little bit about how you got started as a voice actor? Yeah. I wonder, you know, like, it's been, I've been in this business way over 40 decades, oh, four decades, not 40. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm in say my... you look incredible for 4,000. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm 4,000 years old. Um, no, but I, I've been in it four decades so oh, way over 40 years. That's a long time. And even I myself don't understand really that length of time. The industry, I can say, has changed so much. So do people generally wake up? I mean, there are those people that wake up in the morning and or even when they're two or three and they go, maybe they're not saying it too, but they go, I was performing it too. I was... I knew this is what I wanted to do by the time I was three. Well, that didn't happen in my case. I grew up in a real small town, Port Angeles, Washington, and was raised by a single mom who was incredibly creative, intuitive, and um, she herself really had strong acting capability and had done high school theater, but didn't go didn't take it you know she just did that for fun you weren't you really back in those days you weren't thinking of a huge career so I thought I was going to major in home economics (laughs) because (laughs) being in a small town that was basically about the most creative class that I had that I liked the most Mm -hmm. and I was accepted at Washington State University and then somewhere in between I a recruiter from Gonzaga University was visiting a friend of mine and took an interest in me. And he really recruited me to the school. And I got accepted there right after Washington State with a full ride my first year. So um, it said in the school newspaper that I was going to go to Gonzaga University and major in home ec. And people said, do you know they're priests? They're Jesuits there. They don't teach home ec. so i said oh god okay help me god so that's what happened they did have a communications department and that was something i liked a lot i liked communicating with people talking to people but back then that was 1970 in that school small school in spokane it was mostly theory and so it was like you know corporate communications, how you can further productivity in a company by effective communication and reaching goals and that kind of thing. So my advisor, at some point, there came a time he had me in and he goes, you know, we're going to have our very first internship. This was in 1973. And it was at the local NBC affiliate. And he said, I think you'd be a really good candidate for that. And I go, well, I don't have an interest in being on television or radio. I do you think I should do it? And he goes, well, you don't have to do it. It would just expose you to it. And so I, and I trusted him. So I applied and I was accepted as the first intern at this uh, local affiliate. And it changed my life. It was myself and two other young women. So they were really progressive for being a really conservative small town in 1970. They accepted all women. Yeah, definitely. So I uh, was working and, I mean, I had, I mean, I grew up in a small town. I had very little self-awareness in terms of career. So I was assigned to the promo department. And so I became a writer producer there. And I, I knew I could write well, but I'd never written a promo before. I didn't know what it was. And um, I was kind of 
by my nature, I realized, well, I kind of am really good at producing, but it reminded me of baking cookies. (laughs) 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 You get all these ingredients together, you know, like the eggs and the sugar, and, and then you mix them together and you create something. So that's how I looked at it. So I started and I was there three weeks and I was working 10 hour days and then going to night school. And um, this woman in my department, who was my boss, she quit. And I was offered her job. And I'd only been there three weeks. So that's how I started. And I really, really honestly needed the money. I was just working 10 hour weeks and two other jobs. I said, this is great. So uh, that's how I started. And it was really that I needed a job. So I knew I had to do a professional job. They hired me. I mean, and I was like, there, there, I had another person she handled. I wrote and produced. They had an AM, FM and television station. And it was uh, a really high quality station. And they did really excellent work, even though it was a smaller market. In those days, the NBC pro, uh, NBC would work with the stations to produce promos. They would send a feed of ones that they did. But remember, there was no internet and everything was practically on stagecoach <laughs> in Spokane. So that's how I started. And one day, the I had to you know get the people I wrote my promos and it was a all male ca- uh, staff and they wouldn't do the voiceover for my promos because they were mad at the person that I replaced and so I mean I was like all of twenty and I'm like I can't do my job because they won't I don't know how to, you know they they won't do they they're not going to do this. I didn't know how to assert myself with these 45-year-old or men. So my boss said just, "Well, go to the program director and he'll show you how to do it." I said, "Me? I've never done it and I had to do it cuz I had to do my job." So that's how I learned. So you did and, your, your um, first voiceover I, at the station. It was at the station in promo, which remains my favorite genre today along with narration that's fantastic yeah that's yeah that's incredible yeah i mean it it really really was for me because uh i did that for a year and then they promoted me only with one year experience as a staff on on the staff full-time as an announcer so i did like baseball games on on am and I did uh, newscasts on the FM station. I co-hosted television talk shows. I was on-camera talent for TV. I did. I produced radio promos that aired on television, and I would produce radio promos promoting the television stations. So they aired on radio, and so I mean, and I was doing news and. That's so, I mean, I just got fully in, you know, into it with no training. I mean, the one, the only, and here's the training I got, which actually turned out to be the best training ever. A guy named Dave Rogers, who was just, these guys were really fabulously talented. He just took me to the mic and said, now think of one of your favorite times of communicating with someone. And I thought of my mom reading stories to me when I was a little girl and then he, I said, he goes, do you have that in mind? And I said, Johnny handed me the copy. And he said, okay, you're reading to that person. And so that's how I learned. That's how, that was where I always started from. But back in those days too, but you know, it was like, we believe in teamwork. I mean, you know, there was that whole announcer sound, <laughs> right? I mean, so they, um, they had this big announcer thing and I could do that now and then for when they needed it in a spot, but they just kind of let me be myself, which was incredible. <laughs> they did. I mean, they were very forward thinking in so many ways. So that's how I started. I worked there for three years and then, um, you know, this is just real life stuff. I mean, Spokane, Washington, I was then about 23 and I got it put into this slot you know it was like late night and and I was it was during not during the day and 
and it was just killing my spirit. I literally, I had, I'm a social person and I was becoming so isolated, even being on, on, on air. And I said, you guys, I've got to get in. I have to have a different, a different time thing. They go, well, there isn't anything. I, I couldn't stand it. So I decided to go back to school to get my master's and go into communication with corporations. So then, so I could make more money selling cosmetics at the local department store than <laughs> I did at the station. So I needed the money for school. So I took this job and, um, I, you know, I really prayed God, you know, I'm doing my best down here. And if I've done something wrong, you're going to have to really help me and help me out to find my way here. Cause I'm going to get my master's right now in, in Pullman, Washington. Well, he did like out of the, and I am a really spiritual person and, but it was so clear out of the clear blue sky. I was contacted by a friend, Greg Herschelt, whose grandfather, by the way, is Gene Herschelt, who was humanitarian award for the Oscars. And Greg is a radio broadcaster and has, has had a huge career in the Northwest. And he said, the station he was working for was owned by Danny Kay and Lester Smith. It was called K Smith Enterprises, and it was in Seattle. And he said, you know, the program director of the FM station, he called me out of the blue, heard you, heard you on, a, on an, your, a newscast, and he wants to interview you to be the news director for KISW in Seattle, Washington. It's men, 18 to 34 radio station. And I went, you're kidding. <laughs> he said, no. <laughs> So, you know what happened? So, Sean, it was my last, it was my last newscast and he was camping in Winthrop, Washington in an area. I mean, this is in, you know, the seventies where they really did not get FM in the mountains where he was. Just the serendipity of it. Like, <laughs> I know he heard that one. He, he heard me. It, the, the, he goes, the airwaves were bouncing off the ionosphere just right. And he heard me and he called me and he hired me. So then I went to work. I left Spokane and I went to work in a major market, which was Seattle, talking to men 18 to 34 with rock and roll as the news director. And then I did a board shift on uh, Sundays. So that is how I really got started in it all. And I learned a lot. I was doing mornings with a guy named Terry McDonald, who uh, is still doing great. He lives in Washington, D.C., but he he taught me a lot. He was like from San Francisco and he taught me a lot more about voiceover. So, you know, it was all men. It was there were very few women on the air. Barbara Walters, Jane Pauley, um, a couple of other. There were very, very few women. So because there were very few women, I got a lot of work when they needed a woman's voice. So that led to a lot of experience in a lot of different genres that I didn't have the luxury of going to a seminar to learn e-learning or to a seminar to learn promo. I had to just do it. And so I always, so it was a good thing my mom told me good stories. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Talk about trial by fire. I mean, oh. and but that actually... Um, leads really well into our next question because during my research for the interview i noticed on your website you're really a what i like to call a jill of all trades when it comes <laughs> to genres and mediums yeah um, so do you specialize in any particular genre or do you just do a little bit of everything like as it comes your way like you said well it's really really interesting yes i can do a lot of things and i can do a lot of formats and I mean, from radio imaging, which I'm not doing now, but I did do. I mean, you know, and uh, news and, and well, news isn't really voiceover, but it's a part of it. But um, here's what here's what uh, happened, really. You know, the industry has changed. I mean, 40 some years ago, there were no voiceover coaches. There was no Internet. You couldn't learn like we have these capacities now to learn with the best in the industry. So I was, I had to learn on my own how to do everything. 
And so out of that, I've been able to apply that skill to all of these different genres. I have I I don't do audiobooks right now, but maybe one day I will. I don't do them right now because they're pretty time intensive. And I do right now mostly kind of the basics, commercial, promo, narration. But now I'm getting into movie trailer. There's, you know, and the thing is, it's like in narration now. It's not just narration. It goes into all these different subsets. There's documentary mm-hmm. narration. There is film narration. You know, there's, and then there's great demand. And another thing is like, you know, video games and uh, animation, which I'm starting to do. So I think I am going to probably be a Jane of all trades. But the difference is now I can work with some of the best voiceover coaches in the world and do my very best to excel at what I do, still do those genres, but take them to my highest level because you have to be at that level to compete in today's market. There are so many fantastically, wonderfully talented people and the competition is fierce. So I do specialize, but in a general way. You make a great point. I actually spent the last weekend at the first ever vocation conference. It's a conference put on by Jamie Muffet and Karen Guilfrey in New York City to focus entirely on the business of voiceover. And somebody was having a chat with me talking about coaching. And they said, I told them some of the people I worked with, and they said, well, aren't they expensive? And I said, yeah, but that's the point. They're they're the best at what they do, and and they should be valued for their time. So if you want to work with the best, you kind of need to pay for it. Absolutely. Well, I was just going to say, once you reach a level or like a certain level of aptitude, you have to kind of increase your price bracket for training because you're not going to benefit from that lower to intermediate level anymore. So, yeah, like, and I just love that. I mean, I kind of suspected this when we worked together in Seattle, but I was just like, training in education seems very important to you. And oh, um, yeah. Oh, absolutely. And um, I, I'm so, ha- I mean, can you imagine? I mean, really, I was, I remember being in front of the camera doing a newscast, just, it was just in a five minute hole of the NB, uh, of the Today Show, they thought there'd be local news. But I mean, I had no training on how to breathe and the teleprompters back there were like dinosaurs and they were going, (laughs) and, and then, and then the directors, these guys in my headphones were making all kinds of jokes to get me off track. Oh, that's what we do. <laughs> that, that's how we keep our, that's how we keep our sanity. <laughs> keep it light. Yeah. And so it was learning by fire. So when I said, oh my God, there's somebody who really cares that I learned this. And I was so happy. And that's why I, yeah. And to people who may be listening, always, always, always invest in yourself. It, it's a return that will come back a millionfold. And so training is something, yeah, that I, I, I'm I working uh, like now in, in video games, um, training with Dave Fenoy. And um, I, that's pretty good. And I, yeah. And then I, you know, I've done work <laughs> with all kinds of different coaches. There's a lot of great coaches out there. We're so lucky. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Debbie, you mentioned you haven't done audiobooks. I want to know, is there a genre, and maybe that's one, that you haven't worked in that you really are looking forward to trying maybe for the first time? Yeah. It's funny you mentioned e-learning because another person that I was talking to the other day, her stable is is learning e- a lot of e-learning. But I do think audiobooks, audiobooks though, I mean, to me, that is like almost like they're movies, literally. I mean, they're <laughs> audio dramas. I mean, you you have to really... I think it would be great fun and satisfying and something to leave as kind of a legacy to people, books. And it would take me back really to when I was a little girl, but that is a genre I want to explore. And um, Pat Fraley, <laughs> you, you have it on tape. <laughs> and but I hear he has a class in that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I And I've taken some classes with him, but I just... Um, they're just, it's too intensive because, so, because I, when I've been getting commercial work and promo work and narration work, you have to really be able to sit down, read a book for a long period of time and, 
really get it. You know, you read them two, maybe sometimes three times and really get it. Then go through the book, then record the book, then edit it or send it off to her. And you have to really be up for that. No, absolutely. Yeah. You must find great satisfaction out of it. Yeah. What I found and when I've talked to other talent who do a lot of commercials almost exclusively, what I like about it is that it grounds me and it keeps me honest. When I know I should be doing something, you have those periods where you have downtime, you don't have any auditions coming in, you're thinking, hmm, should I look at Facebook? Should I go pet the dog? If I know that I have to get an audiobook done and a 12-hour audiobook done by a certain date, I know I need to get my butt in the booth and do it, and it keeps me grounded and on track. Oh, I like hearing that. I like hearing that. So, um, because that's really good information because I just thought, I saw a gal who was interviewed on VO Buzz Weekly. I'm sorry I don't remember her name, but she was a fabulous uh, audiobook narrator. And she said that she was this little girl growing up. She was a girl that liked to get into her closet with a flashlight. She actually had it down and she would read forever and ever. And she she goes, you kind of have to be that person. You have to kind of be, you love this moment of intimacy and isolation. And that was the thing that kind of, not, not that I didn't like it, but it was kind of too isolating for me based on other things. But now when you're talking about the intimacy and the grounding, now that I'm older, that is really appealing. Well, hopefully that helps you uh, in your journey. <laughs> I, will, I, will, I will say in another interview that you are my inspiration. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you. So back to a genre, am I a person of all trades? Yeah, I think that's kind of my personality. Even when I got out of school, there were a lot of jobs I did in between. I mean, I always did voiceover, but I did other things as well. So I think that's my natural personality. However, I don't just do them bad. I always take it to my level of excellence. And then you you go to another level of excellence. And then you have to maintain that excellence. And then you have to change because everything else has changed. So you keep going. I do think really honing a particular craft before you go on to the next one is really important. Agreed. Wonderful. So talking sort of about the... uh the requirements of different genres. Cause like you said, you've got an understanding of so many different ones and you, you do them all so well. So like I said, when we met, you were the guest director of a documentary narration workshop. So in your opinion, what kind of skills and mindset are required for that style of narration, like the visual documentary style? And what is it that appeals to you about documentary narration? Documentary narration is one of those times when you really must be centered and grounded with the story. And I guess I really do like that. It's really an important story and you really have to do a lot of research into it and not just the intellectual research, but that's, that, that's uh, absolutely critical. But actually you, it's the acting part of it. I think I kind of do this naturally and I haven't really articulated it until now. But actually, I really become the person that is telling the story. And I really do think back like the experience I had with my mom. I'm telling this intimate story to someone and I want them to fully understand all the nuances about it. So in my research, you know, if it's a, if it's a certain era, what were people feeling during that time? If it's something on a... Uh, I've done things like on for Jewish concentration camp to understand that time of history and really what people in the story were feeling. I'm the person as the narrator, connect all these different parts of the story. You're just weaving, you're weaving, you're weaving, and you have to bring this part in and this part in. And this is really the producer side of me, bring all these things in but it becomes one fluid performance. So like the one that I won the Voice Arts Award, which was my first Voice Arts Award in 2014, was for a documentary film called Return of the River. And I just, how I got that job, a local casting agent needed help and they had a client entering this film, the producers of Return of the River. And the narrator on that film was sick and somehow they were, they were trying to get it into the Seattle Film Festival. And the Seattle Film Festival, they moved their deadlines forward 
they didn't they gave them less time to get their work in and the person who narrated it was sick she she could not do it she could she was really sick so i was just the temp i was just the you know just to fill in to get it into the into the um award entry deadline and they said you know we'll pay you for that but we probably won't use you because we like the person that we did but then it ended up that they liked me better <laughs> funny how that works <laughs> yeah really I mean, these moments of grace. So that you have to, um, I did a lot of research on that. And, but here's the ironic thing. Neither the casting director nor the producers knew that I had grown up playing in the river, the Elwha River that the story was about. Oh, wow. Serendipity again. It, It really and truly, my career has really been the result of grace. And I really, I give all thanks really to Creator for these moments because it's been clearly, it chose me. You know, I this has chosen me and I'm still discerning where I'm going with it all because I really take that lead. But having been played in that river, my mom used to work with the, uh, she worked with uh, the Elwha tribe. Nia Bay tribe and a lot of the tribes uh, in that area. She worked for the federal government during Lyndon Johnson's uh, war on poverty. And so um, she would be up there and we, you know, I'd be playing which in the river right near where she was with them. And I, it was the beauty, the absolute pristine beauty of the Olympic national park. It is, there's an energy in those trees, in nature, in the mountains that is deeply, deeply spiritual. And I literally remember as a five-year-old girl falling in love with nature, the end, which to me was creator. And I remember saying to that river as a little girl, I said, I will always protect you. I will always protect you. And little did I realize, way, it was well over 50 years later, here I was on a stage in New York receiving an award how did I, the little five-year-old girl playing in the river, get here in voiceover? So, the, But the research beyond that, so the role I played is that I was the voice of the river. So as the narrator, I was the river. So if I hadn't grown up in that little river playing there, I think I would go to that river and sit in it and play with it and be with it and, and take in the energy and the emotion of what I would feel in that experience. So almost like, like a dark, almost like a method go, acting. Really, it getting, is. Getting yeah, getting involved with the story to that level. Right, right, and um, and then it lit, once I do all of that, and then really become you become so familiar with the words, everything flows out of you, and I I take that approach even with a um, you know, a, like I'm looking at something here. It's just a paragraph. It's a paragraph for an ADR for a movie where I'm a captain on a spaceship <laughs> and, and I, I, I mean, I can't go out in the space, outer space, but I really imagine it. I go online and I look at space and I imagine what it would be like walking there. And if I was responsible for all these people, and then I have to be really familiar with the words because I have to let really the words go and remember who I am and somehow get it out while following the script. You, but then the script, you start, you become f- so familiar with the words and the feeling. The script just is just kind of like a reference to keep you communicating the message to your audience. So that's that's how I do it, practically in everything. Like I was the promo voice for Claws, and I really am a, a huge believer in diversity and inclusion. And that's why I like the Voice Arts Awards so well. Joan Baker and Rudy Gaskins have founded that on diversity and inclusion of everyone's voice. And I, my, I'm a, my husband's Japanese. So my children are half Japanese and half Swedish, which is my background. So we're a diverse family. And I, on purpose, had them go to very diverse schools where it was like 73% not white. And I wanted them to be with other people of color, just for them to feel comfortable in their own skin and to know other people as people. And so I was very familiar with a lot of different women of diverse cultures that I was friends with. 
And when Claws came on, I loved it. It was Niecy Nash, who's African-American, and Karuchi Tran, which is Vietnamese, African-American, and Judy Reyes is Hispanic, and um, the other two women, Jen Lyons and uh, Carrie Preston, are Caucasian. And it was about women that were in... Now, here, my mother was a single mother in the, in the 50s and 60s. So I had experience of what that's like to be a single mother. And these women were all single mothers. Nisi wasn't a mother. Well, she was taking care of her brother. But anyway, so I had that experience and really experience and respect for the diverse cast. And just the story about what they were trying to do just to make a living. It's a wild, wild show. But I approached it. You know, the name of the show is Claws. So, you know, claws can be used for protection or they can be used to, you know, because they're nail salon artists. Mm -hmm. uh, That's what they do. And that's a term for that kind of a nail salon that beautifully painted gorgeous nails. And really, I took that approach to the character that I was for just a promo. But then, you know, through my career, I've worked with incredible directors And again, that's probably one of the best things in the world. When you have a director who allows you to be a blank canvas and they just tell you and they, you, they tell you which way they want you to say this, or they really bring it even more. I mean, you get an outstanding performance. Well, to be fair, you bring a lot to the table. I mean, (laughs) just listening to the level, the level of of research and emotional investment, even in a smaller project like a promo, it's really inspiring to hear. Well, thank you so much. I mean, you probably didn't get that from me, (laughs) the (laughs) seminar, because because that was, you know, why, Sean, I didn't really go into that kind of uh, talking about these kinds of things there, because I was really, really interested in being with you guys. And, um, you know, Pat, see, Pat, fabulous director. He says, your call. You do it however you want to do it. And when, you know, see, that's the genius of Pat. And so I decided I just wanted to literally be with you. It's like sitting in the river. I wanted to be right next to you to feel your energy and to kind of get and respect you. So it really required very little direction and I think in the end, that's why when I walked, when I was done with my side of it, because Pat had worked with you guys before, but when I was done and I went out for a little break and and Steve was putting together all the pieces, when I came back in and heard everything, oh my God, because I didn't hear it when it was being recorded because I was sitting right next to you. It was actually a spiritual experience for me. Wow. From all of you, from every single person in that room, it was like nothing I had ever experienced. Now, see... Pat Fraley, I'm calling you a genius. (laughs) I heard that. I didn't hear all the participants, but I heard the resulting demo from Sean. And it really was amazing what you were able to accomplish in that one session. In one day with all those people. There were like between, was there 10 or 12? It's about 10 of us. Yeah. 10. And all really different. and, And the level of talent in that room. And they all can, the great thing is all these genres are opening up. So there's work for us all. It's an exciting time to be in voiceover. It definitely is. Uh, Debbie, we want to ask about, speaking of talent, you're a union talent, but you live outside of Los Angeles. How does that affect the work that you can or can't do? You know, that's a really good question because coming from a single mom household, we, we were very poor. Like Michelle Obama said, she didn't have the liber- she didn't have the the um, the leisure to make a choice about what she wanted to do. She had an opportunity to become a, an attorney and to go to law school. She went and she learned and she became the best. I that's why I didn't really, I didn't have, like think about what I want to do. You know, I mean, wow. Uh, so anyway, I just started working here in this market. So luckily, and again, it was Grace, I um, started doing a lot of things in this market. But when I was doing it, it was a union town. And that was in uh, the late 70s. And um, my very first union job I got in Spokane. And there's a whole nother part after, and I, don't, I won't go into it because it's too complicated. 
but I've, I did work for as a creator, as a writer and producer for advertising agencies. And so I was one of the clients in Spokane. I did that. And one of the clients we had was Washington Water Power, which is a big utility for Eastern Washington. And I was given that job as the writer. And uh, we came and I worked with a, an artist and we came up with an animated spot. And the concept was they wanted to get people to stop using electric heat and to convert to natural gas because that was plentiful and electricity was really expensive. So so I I wrote the spot. It was a 30-second spot, and he did the animation. And I knew what how I wanted it to sound, but that, that was when women were really not doing that much. And I knew this was a real conservative company and conservative agency. And I said, I know you guys don't want a woman, but just bear with me on my little cassette. This is just how I want these words read because it was really simple. It was something like, there's a lot of things that natural gas can do, but heating your television isn't one of them. It was this little guy comes (laughs) in and he turns on his TV and it's a natural gas flame. So we were encouraging him, use electricity, um, use natural gas, which there's plenty of to heat your home. And let's use electricity for those jobs that only electricity can do. And then this little guy would go, all right. Well, I auditioned a lot of men for them and the client picked me. So that was my first union job in Spokane, Washington. Very cool. And so I was in the union. And then I, when I moved over to Seattle later on, I was hired. I put together a demo reel and then that was reel to reel. And then uh, Steve Lawson Great shout out to Steve Lawson. He's a legend in Seattle. He um, would give everybody, you know, a sheet. You go and bring your demo to them. And the first person on the sheet was Alcom Advertising or Adcom, it was, I think. And um, it was for the Bon Marche, which was a, you know, regional department store like Macy's. So they hired me for on-camera talent. Then there was a competing company called Lamont's, and they were using a famous actress to do on-camera all the time. And they were taking share away from the Bon Marche. So the director that had hired me for my mattress commercial, my TV mattress commercial, yay. He said, well, I'll give you a shot at it. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to hire a spokesperson and we're going to talk to LA talent and New York talent in Chicago, but I'll give you a shot. And I went, Oh, thanks, Bob. <laughs> you know, anyway, I had to go through all these, you know, at that level, cause they had their, you know, Macy's in in New York was was the mothership, and um, you had to go be tested against all these people. And I got it, and it was double scale. And I was a spokesperson. I did all their on camera, all their radio, their industrial, and I actually did write and produce with them for four to five years. Wow! And that was all union. And this is a shout out to SAG-AFTRA. And everything I did, I, I did was double scale in the Seattle market. That's amazing. Which was like unheard of. I mean, you know, I mean, it was really God's grace. I mean, I have to say it was grace. So that is how um, now I, I was able to do that. But then everything changed. You know, then everything started to really change during that time Then I had a family and I decided I'm not going to do on camera anymore. I'm just going to do voiceover and and raise my kids. I didn't, I wanted to be a normal mom and not have celebrity and that kind of thing. So I um, raised my kids and I could go and go into the booth and out of the booth and be back and be a mom. So that's what I did. And My mom then was, you know, I still, my mom lived nearby and she was part of our family. And then my mom got sick. I raised my kids and my mom was getting sick and I needed, and I was her primary caregiver and my mom passed away. And during that time, that was 11 years ago, actually on this day, mom, Oh my goodness! (laughs) I hear you hurt me. I'm serious. 11 years ago on this day. And that was a huge changing point in my life. I mean, up until then, I mean, the internet was coming and, you know, every technology, but I was in caregiving and being a mom and I was all in that world, but I would go into the studio still and do work. But I remember talking to Wendy Wills at Bad Animals and I said, I don't think I can compete in this anymore. It's it's gotten away from me. You got to have your own booth. You got to have your microphones and do all this stuff. And 
I said, because I, I said, I don't know. I think maybe, maybe I can't do it anymore. I'm going to have to get out. And all she said to me is, I would be really sad if you did. And that's the power of a friendship. And I said, well, you know what? I'm going to give it a year for you, Wendy. And if it doesn't work, then that's, that's not meant to be anymore. But guess what? It worked. <laughs> that's great. So, Debbie, your work is recognized and respected by clients and colleagues alike, and rightfully so. So we've mentioned this before, but you've received awards for outstanding movie narration and consumer product video at the 2014 and 2016 Voice Arts Awards, respectively. Mm -hmm. So tell us a little bit about that experience and what these awards mean to you personally. Okay. There was all, I also got, let's see, in 2014, it was for Return of the River. Oh, in I forgot one. <laughs> yeah. In 20, in 2015, I, I won an award for a commercial for Shumash Casino and I won best animation and best commercial. So I won two for that one piece. And then, yeah. And then, um, oh, okay. So what these all meant to me. I'll be succinct on this. Well, re <laughs> Return of the River, re Return of the River was my soul. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was my soul. And it was a miracle. And then Shumash Casino, I played the role of a Native American woman, like an 83-year-old American woman, Native American woman. I used to have a, a sketch of her in the studio here. I can't see it. And, and it was about the Shumash people and this was a branding piece that was being done by a company in Minneapolis. And it wasn't about, you can win a jackpot. It was about, we are the Shumash people. We live we live uh, in a part in the Santa Ynez Valley for centuries. And when people were traveling and they would come through the Santa Ynez Valley, they, need, they needed food, they needed to rest. And the Native American people there saw that as their culture. It was one of hospitality. And so that meant, I mean, I love that one because it was about nature again. And oh my God, Sean, go and look at that commercial on my commercial um, reel. It is, I worked with the highest level animators, musicians, directors, and I, and I had to get their permission from all, from all of them to submit it in the Voice Arts Awards. And I said to the the one the the music producer, I said, "You guys were just like, a, like Academy Award winning artists." And he goes, "Yeah, and all for a casino." <laughs> <laughs> well, you and told I, a great story. Yeah. So look at that. And the reason I love it, it's like they say that you too are Shumash. It it talks about hospitality and and nature. And that we all are part of earth and hospitality. And it's just a gore that, that really, that really got my heart. When I did Aerotech, that one, that one was fabulous. It was Donald Trump was starting to run for uh, president and he was so disrespectful. I mean, that's towards people of color and I am huge. I am all about diversity. And so Aerotech was all these diverse people and it was for a consumer sales video and, and it really focused on their diversity and that these are our people and how much, you know, we believe in them. And it was like, I could take all this angst and. I don't get too political, but in Baltimore or just outside Baltimore. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You yeah. know, the, the history, the recent history with, you know, the, the president and Baltimore. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. There you go. Well, yeah. So there was that. And I worked with a really great writer on that. He was, he was incredible. He knew how to let me just go. So that one was meaningful too. They've all been meaningful. Well, that's fabulous. Well, you know, we've come to the end here, Debbie, and we appreciate your, your honesty, your, the spirit you bring to everything you do, but thinking ahead, well, what, what's next for Debbie Hirata? Any business goals you'd like to share? You know, I'm I'm just discerning that right now, what I'm going to do next. I will continue to do first and foremost. First and foremost, I am a voice actor, and so I will continue doing my best to excel at the work that comes in, 
and stay current with the genres I am good at. And I may start exploring more genres. And I actually am thinking about starting to do some producing myself. So I've got some ideas, but you know, that's a big jump out of what I'm doing. But I've got a little tiny project that I can't really talk about yet, or it would wreck it. (laughs) 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 That would be bad karma. But Mm -hmm. it's a real small project. And I might be doing it with a friend of mine who's an artist. And it would require voice. And it would be interactive with people. And it would be, I would hope that my narration would be a source of peace and calm and hope for the listener. But when I'm ready to announce it, I'll let you know. All right. I'm waiting on pins and needles for that one. No, you guys are the best. It, it's been an absolute pleasure, Debbie. I mean, it's it's been so inspiring to hear you share your story and just, like, learn from your example, really. I mean, your openness to opportunity, your endless striving for excellence. It's just, it, it's really in refreshing and invigorating to hear so it it, like i said it's been an absolute pleasure and we wish you nothing but the best gosh that's the highest compliment that you could say to me that i inspired you thank you sean and paul i really i really have enjoyed this as a voice talent you have to have a website but what a hassle getting someone to do it for you and when they finally do they break or don't look right on mobile devices they're not built for marketing and seo they're expensive You have limited or no control, and it takes forever to get one built and go live. So what's the best way to get you online in no time? Go to voiceactorwebsites.com. Like our name implies, voiceactorwebsites.com just does websites for voice actors. We believe in creating fast, mobile-friendly, responsive, highly functional designs that are easy to read and easy to use. You have full control. No need to hire someone every time you want to make a change. And our upfront pricing means you know exactly what your costs are ahead of time. You can get your voiceover website going for as little as $700. So if you want your voice actor website without the hassle of complexity and dealing with too many options, go to voiceactorwebsites.com, where your VO website shouldn't be a pain in the you-know-what. Wow. Thank you so much, Debbie. I mean, it was a pleasure to meet you in person at that documentary narration workshop that I talked about, but getting to hear your story, and it's just so inspiring, and I love, and I wish you nothing but success in your continued VO career. Yeah, I really didn't know Debbie before this interview, but she was just a delight, and I know her name because it seems like she's nominated for a Silvas every year because she's just, just that about. great. And by the time this airs, she probably will have won another one. So congratulations, <laughs> Debbie. Well deserved. <laughs> but thanks again for being on the show. So that pretty much wraps up this episode of the VO Meter. Measuring your voiceover progress. We've got some exciting episodes and interviews coming up in the next coming weeks. Up next, we have Jim Kennelly and Sam Ufrit from Lotus Productions. And then after that... Paul and I are going to do our recap of some of the fall voiceover conferences. Paul is going to be talking about his experience at uh, Vocation. And then I'm going to be talking about my experiences at the second annual VO North conference over in Toronto. That was headed by uh, voice acti- or voice talent Dervla Trainer and voice agent Tanya Buchanan. They did a wonderful job organizing this smaller conference. And I highly recommend it if you're on the East Coast in Canada or in the U.S., And then finally, we have upcoming Tracy Lindley, whose LinkedIn Edge program is all the rage in voiceover, and she'll tell you how to make the most out of your voiceover career while using LinkedIn. Awesome. Well, thank you guys for listening, and we hope to see you on the next VO Meter. Thanks for listening to the VO Meter, measuring your voiceover progress. To follow along, please visit www.vometer.com. VO Meter is powered by IPDTL. 